You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. Hello and welcome to Beyond Numbers. I'm Ash Gibson, your host for Season 1. In this episode, I spoke to two accounting firm founders about hybrid, remote and flexible working in the industry. It's a hot topic for a lot of firms faced with the challenge of recruiting and retaining staff at the moment, especially post-COVID lockdowns when working from home became the norm. So it was really interesting speaking to Alex Falcon Huerta, CEO and founder of Soaring Falcon, and Dave Gibson, CEO and co-founder of Blue Sky Chartered Accountants, who have both lent into this way of working within their firms. Both Alex and Dave have remote or hybrid workers and share some great insights into how they're navigating the challenge of managing their teams across different locations and even different time zones. I'm here today with Alex Falcon Huerta, founder of multi-award winning Soaring Falcon. Um, Alex, you were named Zero's most valued partner in 2017, but you've won about a million awards since then and have done so much more as well, like writing books, speaking at conferences, traveling the world, or while running a hugely successful accountancy firm, serving clients across the world. Honestly, I don't know how you do it, but I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you so much, Ash. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. I'm also joined by Dave Gibson, CEO and co-founder of Blue Sky Chartered Accountants, another incredibly forward-thinking and award-winning accountancy firm in Northeast England. Dave, I actually had the pleasure of coming up to your office in Newcastle a few years back and spending time with your team to talk about marketing. It seems like like a bit of a lifetime ago now. Dave, welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Ash. Let's kick off with how and why you both started your business. So Alex, let's start with you. Um, so from when I started up my business, I was working in an office in the UK um, in the winter months. Uh, it really was predominant to me where it was like coming into the office and it was pitch black and then um, desktop then. Um, and so you're like putting things onto your computer line by line on uh, on the software and then churning out sets of accounts. Um, and at the time I was like, wow, is this the rest of my life, I spent, you know, 14 exams later, blood, sweat and tears. This can't be the rest of my career, my life. Um, and so all the cloud technology started to come out. And most importantly, it was actually zero that I recognized and learned about. And um, I, re- I thought, wow, you know, this is the start of something new. Um, I can actually turn this into something and I can actually start to do something that I really dreamed about doing. And that was traveling the world um, and actually doing something where I can um, earn money at the same time and take care of clients. So all in one. So I had loads of things that I wanted to achieve and do. And with the timing of everything, cloud technology, most importantly, and then making sure that I can set up a business where it was cloud, paperless and digital. Um, So it allowed me to then be in different countries at the same time and not necessarily be in an office in the winter months. Amazing. That's super cool. Dave, how about you? How did you start your firm and and why did you kick things off? Yeah, different journey, different time, um, really. So we we kind of started in the uh, mid-noughties. Uh, Blue Sky officially kind of launched in 2008, right in the middle of the you know, financial devastation there. So yeah, great timing. Um, and my background is different to most founders in that I come from a tech 
background and I'd uh, quickly realized that my, my, my coding skills were, were poor to average. Um, but I'd spent a lot of time then as a business analyst and project manager um, in tech. I've been contracting for quite a few years as well um, in days when contracting was a good thing. Um, to do, but I could see um, I could see a lifetime of sitting in a hotel bedroom in Slough. So I suppose that's where Alex's stories resonate. There, it's like I wasn't really looking forward to that as well. And I thought, you know, I don't mind I don't mind working hard, but what can I do where you know I can go home at night and sit in my own settee and eat my own food and watch my own television and like uh, yeah, I'll I'll set up an accountancy practice. It can't be that difficult, can it? <laughs> I mean, you tell me. I have no idea. It, it impresses me greatly. What, what you're both doing. Hey, so today we're going to be talking about the shift towards working from home, um, particularly across the accounting industry, but in this real human-centered profession, I guess, remote and hybrid working has become a bit of a polarizing topic. Uh, we actually hosted some lunch events with some of our accounting and bookkeeping partners a few months ago as a bit of a welcome back from our various locations. And the topic of flexible working came up a lot. Obviously, a lot of firms didn't have much choice during the pandemic, but since then, some have really continued to embrace it, while others are now kind of encouraging staff to come back into the office as close to full-time as possible. You've both obviously really leaned into this flexible way of working, so let's chat a bit about how it's working for you. So, Dave, where are you working from today? So, I'm in Coral Echo in Fort Ventura in the Canary Islands. Beautiful. And, and what takes you there? Um, so I have a, a home here, um, so a second home here that I've owned for about six years or so. Uh, now, when when we bought that, um, we'd already adopted uh, cloud technologies. Um, by then, it was it was relatively easy to move away. I just had to um, ask John, my co-founder, if he if he minded if I spent more time um, away from the UK. I'd kind of worked out it would need to be over here at least ten weeks a year to to make it economically worthwhile. Um, and I won't give you his exact wordings because I'm sure they get blooped out, but if it is summarized as, you know, he, he didn't mind. <laughs> Amazing. And I know that you've got Blue Sky employees working remotely as well from various locations. What's the makeup of your team and where is everyone based? So uh, we're still about two thirds based in, in the Northeast. So our, our head office is in uh, North Shields, which is a, a nice, lazy 17 minute walk away from my home um, in the Northeast. Um, but um, when lockdown came in particular, uh, we were already in a position where 30, 40% of our clients were based nationally with we we quite a large um, client population in London. Um, now we just thought, well, you know, what the hell? It doesn't matter if people are working out of a bedroom in Aberdeen or, or, or Gateshead. Let's, let's just kind of look wider. Um, and that's worked for us. So about a third of the team, um, uh, Aberdeen to Abingdon, which, which kind of resonates quite nicely. So over about a, what we're talking about, maybe a 400, 500 mile uh, geographical stretch across the UK. Yeah, well, and what about your team, uh, Alex? Whereabouts are they located? So my team are located, um, I've got a couple of people based in Bedford and Milton Keynes. And then most of my team are actually um, in Sri Lanka. Uh, because over COVID, uh, we set up an offshore company um, in, in Sri Lanka because of the pandemic. Uh, so we needed to hire qualified accountants uh, during some pressure times. Um, and so that's how that came about. <laughs> nice. And where in the world are you based at the moment? So I'm actually in Evian uh, in France, uh, just purely because I needed to be in Europe to dip in and out of the UK for events and to see my clients. Um, but I realized that during this period where it's super hot, I just wanted somewhere to kind of 
jump into a lake after I finish my working day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds pretty dreamy. Um, you you moved to Bali during the pandemic and ran Soaring Falcon as a digital nomad, right? So what what is a digital nomad? How have you been able to do this? I think um, essentially one of the goals of my of setting up my business, which I mentioned earlier, was that I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to be able to run the business from any location. And because in the early, early days, um, I went out to different countries. I went to ZeroCon New Zealand, for example, and I connected with international accountants. Um, and so they then give me the leads for uh, their clients who essentially need a UK subsidiary. Um, and so I then predominantly focus on looking after UK subsidiaries for international setups, like for cloud technologies or SaaS companies. Um, and so it allows me to kind of work digitally around the world um, and even time zones. If I'm working in Bali and Indonesia, then I'm then aligned with New Zealand and Australia time zone. So just going through the different countries, I'm actually building networks. Um, and connecting with various people that I need to connect with in order to grow the business and to look after my clients. So again, just working around different countries, to me, is no different to kind of working in the local environment and going into an office. I'm just going into a different country <laughs> and going into a different office in a different country. So just I find co-working places and connect with people and I work with other people um, just to still get into that working environment. Um, and there's no mad nomads around the world I'm not the first person to do this I won't be the last and I'm sure it's a growing area but um yeah nomad list uh, website is amazing and you can follow nomads around the world so you're never alone nice and do you have to have a digital nomad visa for Bali so they've just released a nomad visa um and so people can work in Bali um, and they can apply for that. But I actually did a business setup over there. Um, so I have like a working visa so I can come in and out as I need to, uh, because we did set up a, um, uh, like a, an ACCA zero kind of study center. Um, so that I did that for different reasons. Um, and so, um, depending on what country you go to, you have to essentially look to see what their working conditions are and, and, and speak to immigration and find out exactly what that situation is there. And also then look at the tax situation in the UK, depending on how long you're going to be out of the country for. And so how do you both go about hiring new people when you've got a world of accountants to choose from? How do you narrow down your search? And I guess, Alex, I'll start with you because you probably look a bit more um, global. But yeah, tell us a bit about that. So um, at, uh, in the beginning, um, I started off with ACCA and I recognized obviously ACCA is a global body um, and I partnered that with, um, say, for example, Zero Communities um, and reached out to um, essentially where I could then find people who understood Zero because my practice is Zero and then people who are ACCA qualified. Um, and so combining those together, um, that's how we found uh, Smart Offshore in Sri Lanka uh, because they have an ACCA office over there. So then what we've done is we've partnered with business schools and study centres and ACCA who will then find the talent for us, who will then find the people who essentially have got all the experience or they've got um, or, or they're just doing all their exams and then we will then bring them into Smart Offshore as employees. 
Um, so there's different ways. Like in the UK, we use things like LinkedIn. We use, you know, even Facebook and Instagram to find hires. Um, but it, essentially, it's depending on what area we need. Like most of the time, we need ACCA qualified people. And so we will then find that team in Sri Lanka. Awesome. And what about you, Dave? How's the recruitment process been for hiring remote workers? And what kind of employees are you bringing on board remotely? At all levels, to answer your last question um, first. So if, you know, there's 25 or so, let's just say there's there's kind of two main levels. So um, seniors, team leaders, relationship directors, and then um, the operations staff um, underneath. Um, we have, so we're probably more focused on recruiting within the UK still. But, you know, Land's End to John O'Groats, it doesn't really matter there. So we, um, as, as with Alex, would use like a Facebook and, and LinkedIn. Um, but also we've now good relationships with a couple of um, recruitment agencies that we, you know, really like and trust and that have, you know, done a really good job of pre-vetting people before us, uh, one in Leeds and one in London. We, we utilise a team as well now with, 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 with a more experienced team, with more people in that have got more connections themselves. And it's like, you know, who do you know? Brilliant. Are there any particular skills or attributes that you look for when hiring remote staff in particular? Um, yeah, people have got to be switched on to it. So as a business, we're fully committed to um, being able to work remotely, to be able to uh, work flexibly. So we need people that um, have a little bit of autonomy, um, that have good communication skills, because it's so important in terms of managing people and processes that, that we'll get the communication right. Uh, across the board and people that are willing to take responsibility. So um, a lot of focus on the soft skills and soft skills analysis as we go through the recruitment and, and engagement process. It's not just about getting the uh, the qualifications. I think it's the whole, you know, if somebody's got the right attitude, we can, we can teach them technical skills, but you can't necessarily do it the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Alex? It's the same, similar for me. Um, we do look for people who essentially can they don't need to be micromanaged um they can do things off their own you know on their own and they can research and uh like understand like technical stuff and then interpret that data into like layman terms because we always find that you can read hmrc stuff but it's interpreting that data into like a simplified terms or just even human terms um uh, just so that clients can understand it so we, how I always say, like, if you have a conversation, like with like your, your brother or your sister, it's like, that's how we like to talk to our clients. We don't like to talk to people um, as though, you know, they, they understand accounting because most people don't, that we have this terminology that doesn't make sense to most of us. Um, and so we have to, under, we have to then hire people that can, uh, you know, be friendly, I guess. Um, and so I think that's quite important. And yeah, of course, we look at all the other attributes and um, personality, technical skills, um, understanding like accounting, um, but understanding what the technology as well. So making sure that they understand all the different apps and how they link together, but the accounting principles behind what happens in the apps as well. So um, it's just making sure that they can pick up on all, all of those things, as well as then doing like the human side. Yeah, and I suppose trust is a really key thing, isn't it? So, you know, how how can you, you know, feel as though your team are are working and delivering and doing doing what you need them to when they're out and about? And I know, um, 
I guess some of the feedback from from some of the more traditional uh, firms might be, you know, people expecting that people working from home are, are kind of hardly working. Um, <laughs> what what's your perspective there on on that trust issue? I, I suppose, like I understand with the traditional firms that they essentially are not used to having people work from home, and everybody was then forced to work from home over COVID. So then people had to. Um, you know, do the job. But in accounting, we've got so many deadlines. We've got VATs, payrolls, management accounts, year-end accounts, tax returns. If staff are not working, they're not going to meet the deadlines. Um, And that's obvious when you have your workflow management. So you can't actually avoid it. So we, we have hard deadlines that we have to meet. There are tools that you can implement. I use a product called um, hub staff for example uh, which is uh, it takes productivity it takes screenshots um, and also it helps with pricing so um, we have project work that we need to then time and we then invoice um, for value pricing and services that we offer so um, there's different things and tools that you can actually implement um, again with timesheets but we don't essentially have timesheets um, but the productivity with hub staff it shows us that people are working or not working. And if there are any issues, it's we also need it for um, like reviews. So there are there are elements where I wouldn't say that not to trust people because essentially you have to trust people. But at the same time, you, you need to give them the freedom to be able to understand and learn to do their job. Yeah, totally. What do you think, Dave? Um, yeah, I'm totally in agreement with that. So, you know, we're an industry that runs on trust, um, as, as Alex has intimated, not, not every client understands what we actually do there so they have to trust us to do it and you know we need we need to put that trust down to the team so we've got to trust them from day one uh you know my, my thought is if you don't trust them why are you employing them uh, it's as simple as that but then um yeah what is it you're expecting them to do so you have to be very clear in your objectives um in terms of what needs to be done and when and also uh yeah you need kind of some kind of measurement mechanisms in there as well are we We've never, ever, ever done timesheets, not even in the olden days when we were using desktop. So it's about um, productivity. So what are we expecting people to do? And yeah, one set of management accounts isn't the same as another set of management accounts. So how do we differentiate between them in terms of complexity, in terms of number of transactions, stuff like that. So there's lots of measurements going on in the background just to make sure things are evened up and, and people are, are delivering. And, and we always say, if you know, if you meet your objectives and do that on two hours a day, then brilliant. And you know, tell us what your secret is. You know, we we don't we don't mind. So we're not we're not constraining people to to delivering a certain number of hours or anything like that. It's it's all purely on you know outcomes and outputs, uh, depending on the level that we've got. So, according to a recent AAT survey, more than seventy percent of flexible workers said that they would be reluctant to leave their current place of work if a new role didn't offer the same flexibility as the job that they're in. Um, unsurprisingly, people are seemingly quite happy to be in control of when and where they work. Are you noticing any improvements with staff retention and engagement or even productivity? Dave, start with you. Um, for sure. I think, um, so we went through our um, mini version of the Great Resignation um, probably back in the 2020, I think we lost three or four people. The core of people around that time have, have stayed and really kind of bought into it. And, and now that the office is open again, um, even the ones that are local, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll hop in once a week um, kind of thing. We have a good crew normally on a Thursday um, kind of thing, but, but prefer to work from home most of the week. Um, and what it has done as we've looked to recruit more remotely is, is we've managed to 
pick people up who are really good people who have been told in the role roles to go back to the office and actually don't want to. So we found some really good people who were prepared to give up salary for less of a commute and to work remotely. Nice. How about you, Alex? If I go back to when I worked in an office and I was employed some time ago, um, I used to kind of get all my work done. And I used to be quite productive in the morning. And then I'd have this kind of like, oh, in the, the afternoons, like, oh, I just could just relax right now. And then later on, um, I'd then end up working like really late at night. And I was so productive. And I recognized, wow, you know, this is where I kind of pushed myself to, if I had my own business, then this is kind of how I'd work. I'd work in the times that I was productive. Because everybody has, I could, not everybody can do like nine till five. <laughs> You can either morning or afternoon or whatever it is that suits people. So when it, this whole COVID thing came out and everybody was like kind of working when they needed to work, they then had a taste of that. So you can't then put them back to um, like working nine to five because actually it can be quite challenging to do that. So we do have to find a balance. But at the same time, where we have our productivity and our productivity is like 40%, for example, in one day, we then have to ask the questions, well, what were, why is it that you were 40%? Are you then better off working in the morning or in the evening? Do we need to shift your pattern around to make it work for you? It's definitely, sorry, it's a definitely a two-way street because, um, yeah, if you, if you try and Google flexible working, there's as many different answers as there are Google answers. And we've actually decided to actually put down on, on, on screen what our version of flexible working is and it's basically yeah if you if you're on holiday if it's a weekend then you know you're still going to get hit by emails and and teams messages and that you don't have to respond to them that, that's your time if it's a work day then you know the expectation is that you're going to be contactable you're going to be doing something whatever that something is um and uh yeah work um blue sky has a priority so you don't turn down a client meeting because you're going to the gym or something like that you've got to work your personal life around it kind of thing so just to get a little bit of structure and and, and it's a two-way street so you know we can be as flexible as as, as the team can be but we, we expect it back as well so what what do you think are the risks for firms then who don't offer flexible working arrangements i, I think they will miss out on good staff who want flexible working it's as simple as that about you alex yeah i agree yeah no definitely uh, i think like there are some people that are definitely going to want to go into an office. Like I, we tried to recruit uh, a person recently um, and she had uh, four kids and worked from home and didn't have space at home. So she wanted to go to an office. Um, and so again, it's just offering that availability. However, um, if we don't offer it now, you're pretty much going to end up with skeleton staff or local people and essentially they might not have the skill set that you need. So what would you say to firms who are sort of thinking of dipping their toe in the water for flexible working arrangements? How can how can someone get started with this way of working? I think that's a really difficult question. Um, Ash, um, I think it, it, it's... In a way, you, you need to let go of some control and give some autonomy and responsibility to the team. And um, it's the same with any other aspect of, of being a founder in a business like this and then growing and taking stuff on. You've got you've got to let go um, and you've got to be prepared to let go. And I think you, you see it and hear it in so many, um, shall we say, traditional firms where the partners still have absolute control over everything um, and there are good staff below them that are more than capable of doing more 
um, but are frustrated because they're not getting responsibilities, not they're not being allowed to do some things. And I just see this as another um, aspect of that. You've got to you've got to let go, but um, you've got to you've got to find out who wants to do it, and you have to be absolutely clear about the objectives and the communication channels um, around things. You, I think you've got to put a lot more work into communication than you might do um, in, a, in a kind of less formal office environment. I think from my perspective, um, usually like if there's something that isn't going quite right in the practice or if that person can understand what it is that, that's stopping them from doing something, I normally like make a list of those things of, okay, I'm worried about this. I'm concerned about this. This is what I think is going to happen if I don't do this. And so what I then try and do is find a solution to that. So it might be like speak to a consultant. It might be to speak to a business coach. It might be to find a bit of software that's going to help me. So for example, if they're worried about productivity, you can just Google what are the productivity apps, for example, that will help me. And so I will then slowly start building out the things that I need and the solutions that I need to help me overcome those problems. And then most of the time my team will be like, oh, what's this again, Alex? <laughs> However, it then helps me and it helps them. Yeah, nice. I guess there's a lot of tools out there. It can be quite confronting for a lot of people thinking, heck, where do I start? Um, but yeah, I guess it's just a matter of thinking, you know, do, do you want to thrive in, in your accountancy firm in future? And do you want to have employees who are, who are doing a really great job for you and looking after your clients? It's just one of those things that, I don't know, it just feels like people just need to adapt to it, right? Yeah, I think um, if you kind of blinkered to flexible working, then you probably blinkered to the other changes that are going on in the industry as well. And I'm sure we're all aware in five or 10 years time, roles will change dramatically. The tools and support you get from technology will change dramatically. You know, we, we need to uh, we need to embrace embrace change, you know, not, not be frightened of it. And, and, you know, we need to actually drive it. Um, if we can, and it's, it's important to be at the forefront because if you're not, then and you're at the back of the queue. How can you differentiate yourself these days from uh, from the competition? Nice. So, what about culture? How important is culture for your teams, and how do you maintain a healthy culture with remote and hybrid workers? Dave, I'll start with you, and then probably Alex is a quite a different case, I'd imagine. Yeah, uh, massively important. Again, it's um, you know how do you bond a team together if they don't um, if they don't see each other on a day to day. Um, basis. So we, we put a lot of work into um, not just defining values, but then defining the behaviours we would expect to see that support those values. And um, to, to be frank, we just bang on about it all the time. And so everyone, we hold um, quarterly reviews uh, with everyone and, and the marks, um, not just on the technical um, prowess and, and output, but um, against their objectives, which tend to be values orientated rather than technically orientated as well. So we, we, we want people to to get it and, and to understand what the culture um, is within Blue Sky and to help drive that, to be honest. It's not, you know, the culture doesn't just come from Dave. It's not what Dave says. It's like, how, how do they want to be kind of thing? But yeah, we've got to, we've got to form the team that to a degree can live the life that we we would want to live as well. Nice. And what about like digitally? How do people sort of interact with each other? Um, yeah, virtually. So uh, we have, um, we schedule a lot of, of what we call huddles. So they're just short, sharp, um, mini team 
um, meeting. So it's set up slightly differently from um, Alex's team. We have uh, four different operations teams. They have a daily huddle um, each. The team leaders have a daily huddle with uh, Steve Robinson, who's our COO. Um, and we've got four client relationship directors um, whose focus is on the clients. Again, they have a, a daily end of day um, huddle. And then at the end of the week, we get all the team leaders and the relationship directors together for half an hour to go through an agenda-driven um, meeting, uh, part of which is we take the mickey out of each other uh, where we can and that. So that, that there's plenty of opportunities scheduled to speak to each other as well as, you know, kind of work-orientated kind of things. Part of the danger of that is conversations just become transaction orientated rather than the whole coffee machine, you know, water cooler, what did you do at the weekend kind of thing. And we, we, we're working hard to try and kind of open that up um, a little bit. I think there's there's a lot of work still to be done um, there. What about you, Alex? How do you manage that with a global team? Um, so again, similar to Dave, we have a, um, actually the guys in Sri Lanka, they actually prefer to go to the office because they like that coming together and like having their cake and tea and coffee. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, we do have um, like the daily huddles and weekly huddles, and then we have one-to-one huddles as well. So we can keep track and make sure that everybody is okay. Um, we do, you know, organize like, you know, lunches and dinners and everybody goes to those. Um, but uh, Catherine and I, who are based in the UK, um, we uh, we arrange trips together <laughs> and work remotely so we can sit together and go through things. But actually, we, um, we, we do plan to go to Sri Lanka as well. And we've already been together so we can like make sure that we're um, working together with the team and that we um you know do like team building events together and things like that so um on our side um we try to do as much as possible to keep people engaged um and obviously seeing people face to face is obviously still really nice so we try and do that as well so it's a whole mixture of stuff to try and you know keep people together and to let everyone know that you know we are still people in the background and having to do a job um so yeah, it's a, again, it's similar to Dave, um, but it's just making sure, again, that you're still doing like your reviews with the staff to make sure that they're happy with the processes and the systems and the, the goals and the visions of the business to make sure that everybody's still aligned. From a building culture perspective, I must say, one of the things I worry about is, you know, that learning by osmosis. Um, I think I probably represent a lot of people today that really benefit from a flexible work, workplace and I can work flexibly at zero. Um, I've been, I'm a millennial, so I've been in the workforce for 12 or 13 years now. Um, during the pandemic, I had my first child and more recently stopped buying so many avocados and flat whites so I could actually buy a house, um, which of course is much further out of the city and certainly not within the 15 minute bike ride to the office like my previous rented flat was. But I really like count myself lucky to be able to work in a flexible environment, which means I guess I don't necessarily have to spend too many of my waking hours commuting. And on the days that I'm at home, I'm, you know, I can spend time with family, the side of starting and finishing work. But as a team, we have a, have a day a week where we aim to be in the office together. Uh, and aside from that, we can kind of work it out however works for us personally or as a, as a team, I guess, depending on what's going on. Um, the other thing is I actually work condensed hours at zero, which means I can work a full week in four days. And I must say, having that choice and flexibility to work how I need to while 
I guess balancing that with how the business needs me to is one of the most compelling benefits on offer at zero, I think. What I really think about frequently, aside from the fact that I love working flexibly, is I just am really conscious of um, my colleagues and the team that report to me. And I and I worry sometimes that uh, they're missing out on those overheard conversations about how to do something or find something or who to talk to about a thing. And that's, you know, so much harder to replicate online. So I guess like it's an ongoing challenge, but how do you manage staff onboarding and training and just making sure your team is set up for success when they come on board? Um, Alex, I'll start with you. Yeah, so um, with us, um, we um, have our onboarding process and we have like, we use um, things like Slack, uh, ClickUp, we use um, WhatsApp as well. So we have like a like a banter chat group. Um, then we have like a work serious chat group. <laughs> and then we have and then we have like all the Slack channels um, so that people can then communicate. But when we like onboard team, they um, make sure that they have They've gone through all the technology and they understand and everything, um, all of the stuff that they need to learn and the systems and the processes. Um, but aside from that, they'll ha- we'll have conversations with them as much as possible to make sure that they're happy with the systems, and the process, and like I said, the goals and the visions. And similar to you, and also similar to when I used to work in like in a, in a an office environment. It was if I can do three hours of my job in one day, I'd call those like power days or power weeks, get them all done. And then I've got the flexibility of like a relaxed time. So I actually do that for myself where, for example, as a as a business owner, it's like, okay, right, I'm just going to get all this stuff done now. That way I can take the afternoon off because I think genuinely it's important for us to take those breaks as well. Um, and then we explain that to the team as well so they have the same flexibility it's like if you can get all this stuff done and then you can then have that time off as long as the work is done and as long as the deadlines are met and as long as we're going back to the clients then it's up to you then to manage the time that you have and the working hours that you have and same for you like you're managing a family a lot of our staff have families as well they want to spend time with their kids they want to go to their school like events they want to um they want to travel maybe one day or they want to be in a different country and a lot of people said to me um you know or how do you manage it or why do you do this or do you think it's fair for you to do this and for other people not to do it but essentially i think everybody has a choice um and it's about being open-minded and i'm very open-minded about certain things if somebody said to me alex can i do this i would normally look at it and see how they can do it and how it would work in the business and usually be happy with it and i think if a lot of the leaders or the bosses were like that then their staff would be probably a lot more happier as what zero has done for you ash yeah and you you sort of talked about it earlier as well like um you know, the kind of hours that we prefer to work. I'm definitely a night owl and I'll happily sit up until midnight and finish those sort of hard tasks that I haven't managed to get to during the day. Um, But I'll also quite happily, you know, start a bit later or take a little bit of a longer lunch break every so often. You know, we do have the opportunity to kind of work the way we need to as long as we're getting the work done, but also taking into account, you know, what's going on with our team and and our business and what do we need to actually achieve. And yeah, I just think there's so much benefit to businesses structuring that way. Um, 
Yeah, what do you think, Dave? Can I go back to your original point uh, first, Ash, about the, the osmosis? Um, and I think I actually think that's the elephant in the room for flexible working and that we can you know, get people geared up to be productive and, and engaged today. But um, how, do people, how do people learn and develop um, the careers going forward? And you know, thinking back to my um, younger days, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of places and I've learned a lot of things, but I've normally done that by hanging around with people more experienced and cleverer than, than me and occasionally going like, what are you doing? Can I do some of that? Um, kind of thing, and and if you don't get exposed to the opportunities, then you know you're not going to know what you don't know, um, kind of thing. And and it's something I think we it's a question we need to um, address because not only does it might it be a barrier in the way of career development for the younger generation, but that then will impact on the resource and the experience available to to our businesses further down the line as well. So we 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 both need to kind of. Uh, work at it to go well, one of the things we put in place for that is to make sure that everybody in the business has a mentor so the junior staff have a senior member of staff who isn't their line manager um, as a mentor and then the senior staff um, can find an external mentor if they so wish um, to go forward as well so you kind of need somebody from the outside looking in um, in effect to help them on um, it's it's certainly not the full answer but you know it's a step in the right direction I think it's something we've got to work on Harder. Um, on the engagement side, on the recruitment and engagement side, once we've identified somebody, we've got the offer out there. Then, um, yeah, as with Alex, we you know we have we have our process. We go through it. We make sure that um, the individual coming in has a one to one with uh, every single person within the business. Over the first two or three weeks as come in, we you know we make sure that um, certainly having a, a sit down be a virtual one with uh, with the line manager with the rest of the smaller team and uh, with myself and with John and with Steve who are the three owners of the business um, as we go forward and, and then we just drive it from that so it's kind of constant check backs to make sure that um, you, you kind of you, you've got the flow there it's a bit like taking on a new client in that you know if you're doing doing the bookkeeping and management accounts it might take two or three or four iterations to get it right to understand each other um, and you know it's it's in that early stages that you've got to really, really work hard to get the relationship off of the right foot. And it's exactly the same uh, concept to me. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about management accounts. <laughs> does take a few attempts. It does take a few attempts. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the osmosis thing really gets to me because, yeah, I'm the same. I just feel like I learned so much about my job and my and our business just from sitting and listening to people around me and... I don't know, maybe it's that we have, we should have a certain responsibility as, as leaders in, you know, in businesses to actually think, right, how can I impart my knowledge or my experience onto other people? I guess growth and personal development uh, for your team must be a bit, bit of a difficult one to manage from afar, Alex. Um, employees are obviously physically out of sight, but what do you do to make sure they're not out of mind? How are you making sure they're getting the opportunities they need to learn and develop? So when one of the things that we actually do is we partner with the business schools um, in Sri Lanka and with ACCA to ensure that they have their continuing professional development. And um, if there are courses and things that they want to do outside of that, then um, they're allowed to do those courses. So one of the team members wanted to do like extra tax courses so that they had a better understanding of the UK legislation. And so therefore uh, we make sure that, you know, they've if they've, they've got those opportunities, we allow them to do it. 
um, we also have a responsibility to make sure that they they have the right technical skills and abilities to deliver to our clients. Um, we do involve them with the UK CPD courses as well. So they have um, we we um, partner um, you know with. Um, a CPD store and with Krona and so they have like all the tools that they essentially need to be able to learn and develop and grow and watch webinars and things like that so it as a practice um one thing we have to do is we have to provide them with the skills and the the education anyway but outside of that like I'm always keen for them to develop if they want to do a bookkeeping course or if they wanted to do um, a coaching course it's entirely up to them <laughs> as long as they're comfortable and happy with doing that at the same time or like or in the evenings or the weekends it's entirely up to them but I'm always keen to um, to allow them to like do self-development stuff in the background. What about you, Dave? Have you got any tools or processes set up to support with staff training? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in, a, in a similar way. So yeah, we're, we're ICAW, not ACCA um, in general, but um, we have um, a fairly um, generous budget for training and education, and that splits between both technical training and personal development. Then on the personal skills side, we have a relationship with um, a client that we've, we've, we've known now for, for the best part of 10 years that that specializes in engagement and culture and values and communication that kind of thing they can they they can talk about it a lot more um a lot more knowledgeably than i i can um as well and we get um we pitch some of that at leadership level but then we pitch some of that at the whole organization um and uh, we're actually going through an exercise at the moment where using a tool called harrison assessments we can assess the engagement of people on an individual level against a number of different factors um, within within the business, so this is kind of work behavior preferences. What it tells us is we've got twenty odd different, completely different individuals, um, which is brilliant. It means there's, there's no silver bullet to, to make it better. We've already got um, a very good engagement score as a team in there, but we're we're now sitting down and speaking to everybody on an individual basis to see what we can do just to notch it on a little bit more, without impacting on somebody else kind of around the corner there as well. So that we put a lot of time and effort and activity uh, into that. Let's talk then about how your clients find remote working. What about what about your clients, Alex? You've got them scattered around the world, right? So I'm interested in how you balance your client relationships when you and they are often working from different locations and time zones. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, like you say, like my clients are around the, around the world um, and they are the UK as well because I normally look after or I normally would have helped them launch the UK set up subsidiary um, and so what we do is we have um, like a 10-15 minute touch point per month um, and so they can jump in on that or not it's entirely up to them um, and they can contact me via whatsapp at any point I don't really mind um, I, I'm not really that bothered about time zones because usually when I've made a decision to leave the country I then have a responsibility to make sure that I'm taking care of my clients so for me that's the kind not sacrifice it's my business as well <laughs> um, but that's like my thing that I say that I'll do that it doesn't matter what time of day it is I'll pick up the phone or I'll answer that query um, with the client side of things we've had 
might some clients be inspired by what I've done and they're now relocating to Portugal in fact they're going this month so we've helped them find like accountants and solicitors and we've got involved in how they're going to get their car over and you know what where they're going to live in the country in Portugal and apply for their 10-year tax-free visa for example so there's I've learned so much about all different countries what their requirements are um, and then it's allowed me to help other clients do the same thing. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that people are able to, you know, build their careers around life and, yeah, get that travel experience in when you can. It's brilliant. Dave, Dave, what kind of clients does Blue Sky support? Like, how do they find it working with remote accountants? Um, yeah, so I say we have a lot of tech and digital type um, clients and uh, they're supported Um mainly by professional services type clients so um they were used to it before lockdown and um, absolutely fine not a problem um, it's always nice to get a face-to-face in sometimes um, <clears throat> especially at the beginning of a relationship to get it going right but but beyond that um remote meeting is generally absolutely fine for for the vast majority of them there's very few that um feel uncomfortable with with video type meetings these days are there any clients that that really haven't gelled with this new way of working? How do you how do you manage that if that if that occurs, Dave? Um, um, one or two, but they tend to become ex clients. So there you go. If they want traditional, then go get traditional. You know, we we we're very strong um, that we have a process, and that's our process. We we use our process because we know it's right for the majority of clients, and and it allows us to. Um, to track and be, be fixed about what we do without trying to be all things to all men. Um, and if that's not right for you, then we're not the right accountants um, for you. But, you know, we've got a good relationship with a, a couple of competitors around the corner kind of thing. So it's easy enough to um, to pass people over. Um, I must say it's not really a problem for many people at all. That's good. Alex, you've been working this way for a long time. What tips do you have for other firms when it comes to really maintaining client relationships? got that constant communication with them and to know that you are available and to know that for example when you are away that they don't feel that you're away (laughs) so um i I have some clients that say oh when are you back um oh when can we meet up with a face-to-face and i'm always very open to say look you know when i come back i'm happy to arrange a face-to-face with you so um but i i do come back to the uk regularly it's not, uh, and then I do meet my clients, but equally I have clients overseas as well. So it's actually nice for me to go and meet those clients too, um, but not to spread yourself too thin. We have a client avatar, um, and so we just make sure that our clients tick all of the boxes um, and that they are genuinely happy with what we ser- what we deliver and our services and our setup. Um, and majority of the clients have I've only ever met them remotely and online um and so actually it is nice for me to go and visit them every now and then once a year maybe um and so you have to essentially decide who your client base is going to be what your role is in the business whether or not you want to be traveling or not and then make the decision of whether or not you know that's going to be right for you and your business and your staff because I've grown mine over the last seven to eight years as this model. I created this, what I wanted, 
how I wanted to live my life and how I wanted it to grow. And so everything that I've done, every step that I've done along the journey is because I've always had that end goal in mind. Whereas people are now only just changing and they're just saying, right, this is how I want it to look. And they're putting everything into place. And so mine's been developed over time. So I've made sure that the clients from the very, very, very beginning matched the model that I wanted to develop over the years. I think that's a brilliant message, Alex. And, you know, as a founder, um, it can sometimes be easy to forget that the business is there to work for you, um, not the other way around. And, yeah, you, 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 you design it and shape it and, you know, make sure it gives you what you need. And then, you know, everybody else has to fit into that, including clients and including the team. So, um, firstly, before we finish up, uh, just a little word association game. So I'm going to say some random words. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be one word. <laughs> it can just be your immediate thoughts. So <laughs> Alex, social media. Fun, travel, beach. Nice. Dave, culture. Ooh, um, fun. I'll go with that again. Alex, traditional in the past and thank god we're digital dave spreadsheets bane of accountants lives Uh, alex small business amazing easy agile (laughs) dave recruitment engagement nice you're really thinking about these i like it all right thank you so much dave and alex um really awesome to have you on the podcast thank you for your time Um, It's been so interesting hearing about your journey with your firms and what you're doing. I just think, yeah, you're just pace setters in this industry and I love hearing all about it. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for the invite, Ash. Been lovely to be here. Yeah, thanks, Ash. And nice to chat with you, Dave, as well. You've been listening to Beyond Numbers, brought to you by Zero, produced by Birdline Media. If you heard something that caught your attention, share the episode with your colleagues so they can listen too. Thanks for listening.